Well, happy Easter. He is alive. And we're living proof of it. Amen? Amen. We're glad you're here to worship with us today. And those that are watching uh, online, we welcome you and pray that you will worship our risen Savior with us today. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 28, verses 1 through 8. Uh, We're going to start here and then we'll move on from there. But uh, Matthew 28, 1 through 8. Now after the Sabbath... As the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you shall see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples word. And because those disciples kept telling it, we're still sharing this story today. Amen? Amen. Over the past four weeks, we have been celebrating Easter and a risen Savior And finally, we are here, Easter 2021. We're celebrating a Savior that has power over death. He has defeated the grave, and He has paid the debt for all sin. That's a reason to celebrate. Over the past weeks, as we have celebrated Easter for five weeks now, we've looked at Thomas, who uh, as you remember, he, he wanted to see the nail prints in the hands and the spear print in the side of Jesus before he would believe. And when he saw Jesus, he believed. Now remember, an empty tomb is a great thing, but a risen Lord is even better. Amen. That's the reason the tomb is empty. He is alive. And Thomas saw him and believed. Peter and John ran to the tomb, and we're told that John saw and believed. The centurion heard Jesus on the cross as he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And then he saw the earthquake and all of that that happened, and he believed. Pilate knew that Jesus was an innocent man and continually told the world, I find no fault in him. There is nothing he has done wrong. Now, we don't know that Pilate ever became a believer, but he had enough reason to believe, and what he shared gives us reason to believe. Mary and Martha saw Jesus bring their brother back to life, and then they would have been there when he arose from the grave. All of these people saw and heard and experienced things 
that have been recorded for us to help us and thousands, countless thousands, millions possibly of people become true believers. And that's what we've been looking at for five weeks now, what it means to believe and why we should believe that Jesus Christ is the risen Son of God. Over those weeks, we've looked at events from just before the crucifixion to just after the resurrection, and we've looked at people who knew and interacted with Jesus in a variety of circumstances. We have seen more than enough reasons to believe that He really is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and that He conquered death, hell, and the grave, and He proved it when He arose on that first Easter morning. Now, there is more than enough evidence to believe, but it takes more than evidence as we've seen in our Sunday school class, to believe. It takes a move of the very Spirit of God in your heart. And our prayer has been over the past weeks that the Holy Spirit has been moving in hearts to draw people to a risen Savior and that you would truly believe. Now, today we're going to go back in time a little before the crucifixion and the resurrection to another event where Jesus raised someone from the dead before he raised himself from the dead, proving that he had the power over the grave and giving us one more reason to believe. This Easter morning, my prayer is, if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, that the Spirit of God will move on your heart and you will believe. Today we're going to look at a young woman who died and Jesus brought her back to life. The video we're going to watch in a few minutes, uh, it's an imaginary scene. And all of the videos that we've been watching, they're from the skit guys. Uh, they, they've all been, you know, um, um, a theatrical production, all right? They're imaginary uh, stories, if you will, with real characters from the Bible, okay, and just kind of what might have taken place, what they might have thought or said. And as we've gone through these, uh, these various uh, characters from the Bible and what it took for them to believe uh, or what evidence God gave them in order to help them believe, I couldn't help but wonder myself what, what can I do to help other people believe? Isn't that really the goal of every Christian? Once we come to know Christ, our, our, our ministry is to help others become believers. And so I thought, as we've looked at these, these different uh, uh, actors and actresses uh, playing out these different parts, I've wondered, what, what can I do to help people believe. And as we've looked at these, these people from the Bible and, and their testimonies from Scripture, I've wondered, what, what, what could I do to help somebody become a believer? And, and I thought, what, what do people really need? What would it take for you to be a believer? If you're, if you're not a follower of Christ, 
And I'm not talking about being religious. I'm not talking about being a member of a church or baptized. I'm talking about a true follower of Christ, a true believer. If you're not a true believer, what would it take for you to believe? Would an empty tomb help you believe? Would nail prints in Jesus' hands and His feet help you believe? Would somebody coming back to life after being dead for several days, would that help you believe? Or maybe, would hearing the Son of God begging God to forgive you of your sins, would that help you become a believer? We've looked at eyewitnesses of all of those things. My prayer is it helps you believe. And I know we can't see those things with our own eyes or hear those words with our own ears, but hopefully we have seen them through the eyes and heard them uh, through the lips of other people who were eyewitnesses. And today we're going to look at one more. And this story is a very special story. This is Jairus' daughter. Joel, would you go ahead and play that video? People always ask me what it was like when I was dead. I think the better question is, how am I alive? The answer starts with this man named Jesus. The day I died, he told my father, don't worry, just believe. My father, a city leader, a well-respected man, was He was crying, begging at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus says, just believe. Believe. Jesus started to come help, then he got distracted by someone, and when he finally did arrive at our house, he told all the mourners I was just sleeping. Not dead, sleeping. They laughed at him. Everyone in the room laughed at him. Well, not everyone. My father, he believed that day. He believed Jesus. You see, before it all happened, I called him father. But after that day, I called him daddy. I found out what he was willing to do to have me back. What he was willing to give up to save me. My daddy threw off everything he was. A ruler, a proud man, an important member of society. To fall at the feet of the last for his little girl. My daddy, he would tell you that Jesus too threw off all he was, everything that belonged to him and died like a criminal for our sakes. So that all of us 
could be brought back to life. That's how I am alive. I think this video ties perfectly the raising of Jairus' daughter with the resurrection of Christ, and I think it does it in a very touching way. The young woman there in the video was touched by the length that her father would go to save her. Folks, Resurrection Sunday is all about the lengths that God would go to redeem us to save us, that He would send His only begotten Son to that cross to die for our sins is an amazing story. And she was touched that her father would embarrass himself, a powerful, respected member of the community, a teacher, a leader in the church, and bow before, if you think about it, a carpenter's son and beg for help. It's the whole message of the cross though, isn't it? Isn't that the message of the resurrection? Jesus humbled himself and submitting himself to the ridicule and the humility and the pain of the cross to rescue us. He forsook the glory of heaven to take on flesh so that He could redeem us, so that we could become true believers. And as touching as the story of Jairus is, the story of Christ is so much more. Jairus was a sinful man. Jesus was the sinless Son of God. He gave up His place in heaven for a time and took on the cross, despising the shame, so that He could provide for us a way to get to heaven. And that is the most amazing story ever, and worth our worship. The story of Jairus is a glimpse of what we are celebrating today, and it gives us one more reason to believe in the empty tomb. I love the ending of the video where she said before she called him father, but after uh, he, uh, uh, he uh, did what he did to bring her back to life, she now calls her father Abba, Daddy. When the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom, as Jesus died on the cross, it made it possible for us to call God not just our heavenly father, but Abba, Daddy. But that's only for those who believe see, what you believe determines everything in life, in death, and eternity. Every area of life is affected by what we believe, by who we believe, and what we believe in. Jairus had a choice to make. He could believe the crowd that day and laugh at Jesus, or he could believe Jesus and believe in the impossible. And today, every single person has the same choice. Either Jesus really is the Son of God and lived a perfect life so that He could die on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins 
And you can choose to believe that, or you can choose not to believe. But if you choose not to believe, you will choose not to believe in the face of overwhelming evidence that it's true. Today, those of us that are believers, we celebrate a risen Savior. And so I want us to look at this story and see some things, because there is an empty tomb, because we serve a risen Savior, there are some things in this story that, that I think will help all of us, and especially anyone who is not a believer. In Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through 56, we find this story that she alluded to there in the video. So it was when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. But as he went, the multitudes thronged him. Now a woman, having a flow of blood for 12 years, who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any, came from behind and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng and press you. And you say, Who touched me? But Jesus said, Somebody touched me, for I perceive power going out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and fell, falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her, Daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And while he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him saying, Do not be afraid. Only believe and she will be made well. Then he came into the house. He permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John and the father and mother of the girl. Now all wept and mourned for her, but he said, Do not weep. She is not dead but sleeping, and they ridiculed him, knowing that she was dead. But he put them all outside, took her by, by the hand, and called, saying, Little girl, arise. And then her spirit returned, and she arose immediately, and he commanded that she be given something to eat. And her parents were astonished, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Jesus still has the power to raise people from the dead. And I remind you that apart from Christ, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. Every single person apart from Christ is dead. And your only hope is the hope that Jairus had for his daughter. It's that Jesus would bring you back to life. Now, I want you to see how that's possible. And it's first of all possible because t uh, Jesus touches the unclean things in the world. 
He touches that that's unclean. In, in 43 through 45, he says, Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years, who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any, came from behind and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her, her flow of blood stopped, and Jesus said, Who touched me? And then verse 54, But he put them all outside, took her by the hand, and called, saying, Little girl, arise. Now twice in this story... Jesus touched someone who was considered unclean. Listen, if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you know what it feels like to be unclean. You know what it's like to feel the, the, the filth of your sin. You understand that. Jesus is still touching the unclean. But this story, by the way, I think it's taken on a whole new meaning over the past year, hadn't it? I mean, not just here in America, but all around the world. Since the pandemic hit back in March of last year, the world is preoccupied with germs and uncleanliness. Isn't it? Started with washing hands more frequently, then social distancing, then closing businesses to force isolation, then wearing face masks. And I don't know about you, I, how many of you have these in coat pockets and in your car and purses and... Yeah, they're everywhere, right? I don't know how many of these I own, all right? A whole lot more than I want, I know that, all right? How many of you walk up to the door of a place and then you turn around and go back and get your mask, right? Yeah, that's part of our world now, right? We're, we're, and some of you are going, not me. Well, that's okay, you know, whatever. It's supposed to be for two weeks, remember that? Yeah. Do you realize what we've been through the last year isn't new, though? See, see, it's new to us, but it's not new to the world. In Jesus' day, there were a lot of reasons that they had what were known in their day as purity laws. There were purity laws that they dealt with on a regular basis. And, and some of it was religious in nature. Some of it was taken to extremes. I'm not making any judgments on what's going on now. Okay, maybe a little. <laughs> the underlying issue was one of germs and contagious diseases which they knew very little about, and, and uh, they, they didn't know much even about general infections. In those days, one sick person could seriously infect an entire town or village and really could wipe out a whole village. And since they had very limited medical knowledge, I thank God for all of the medical advancements we have today. The fact that they could come up with vaccines in a matter of months is unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. And, and to their credit, okay, much smarter people than me. But they had limited medical knowledge and, and so they had a, a list of things that would cause people to be unclean and Jesus dealt with two of the biggest ones in our story today. One was anyone that was, had a problem bleeding, whether it was external bleeding or internal bleeding, really didn't matter. If you had a problem with bleeding, you were considered unclean. And if anybody touched you when you were bleeding in any manner, you, they were considered unclean. And so the woman with the issue of, of blood uh, was unclean. And yet 
she touched Jesus, but Jesus touched her because he healed her. All right, so she didn't just touch him. He touched her too. And then anything that was dead was considered unclean. And so Jesus touched the woman with an issue of blood and he touched this dead girl, took her by the hand and said, girl, arise. Couldn't touch somebody bleeding, couldn't touch a dead body. And, and Jesus touched both of those people, both of them considered unclean by society. And they, and they had things that you had to do. Uh, um, uh, first, you had to go wash your entire body from head to toe. You had to take a bath. Then you had to wash all of your clothes. We'll get them all clean. All right? Then you were quarantined for a period of time. Is this 2021 or what? See, it's new for us, but this isn't new in history, all right? So they had to wash the body, had to wash their clothes. Then they were quarantined for a period of time. Jesus touched both of these people. And he didn't have to wash his body. He didn't have to wash his hands. He didn't have to wash his clothes. You know why? Because sin did not affect him. He died for it. He was never infected with it. He touched both of them. And he's still touching unclean people today. Man, that is good news. When he came out of that tomb, listen, death was conquered. Sin was conquered. Everything unclean could now be made clean again. And that's good news for us. And you know how I know it's true? He touched me. All of these other evidences are wonderful, but that's nothing like experiencing it for yourself. He touched me. He cleansed me of all my sin, past, present, and future. Now think about what's taking place in our story today. Jesus is touching the untouchables. He's touching those that nobody else would have anything to do with. And this father loves his daughter more than his own reputation. And he finds Jesus and he begs him to heal his daughter. It shows us a couple of things. First, the father cared more for his daughter than he cared for himself. And he had faith that Jesus could do the impossible. And while that is taking place, this woman, who only has one hope left in life, comes to Jesus, this miracle-working man that she's heard about, and she risks everything in life to touch him, hoping that he could do the impossible. And once again, we see someone who has faith. She believes that all she has to do is touch him, 
and he can heal her completely. Listen, I pray somebody today believes the impossible. All you have to do is get to Jesus and let him touch you. And he can do the impossible. He can make you clean. Whiter than snow. Now maybe it's a fact that I'm a father of a daughter, but this story has always touched me. And you know, I doubt it would make any difference if it had been his son. The father's heart for his child is a glimpse, I think, into the heart of God. Jairus was the ruler of the synagogue. And that may not mean a lot to us at first glance, but once you think about it, everything changes. This man was one of the religious elites of his day. And he had seen and heard about Jesus for some time now. Jesus' popularity among the people had been growing for a while. And, and he knew what the other religious leaders were saying about Jesus. In fact, he was probably in on some of those, those conversations about Jesus. And they probably were asking one another, what do we do with Jesus? He's disrupting everything. By the way, aren't you glad Jesus still disrupts everything? He's getting bigger crowds than we're getting at the synagogue. People are talking about His power. People are talking about His words. He speaks with authority. And this Jesus, He's telling people that God is here for the common man. In fact, He's telling people that the kingdom of God is at hand. And it's not the kingdom they wanted. And what if the people start really following this Jesus and stop listening to them altogether? They had some pretty good things going in their day. And they could manipulate people to do whatever they wanted. By the way, we're still seeing that in the world today, are we not? Jesus was a threat to everything that they were doing and had done for years. And we don't know what was actually said, but I think there must have been a, a lot of talk about what do you do with Jesus? What are we going to do with him? And I think that's what makes this story so touching. The ruler of the synagogue falls down at the feet of Jesus, which was an incredible sign of humility, and he begs him to come to his house. The ruler begs Jesus. And that touches the heart of God. That touches the heart of God. Jesus came to touch the untouchable and faith and humility touches God. Look, look at 8, 41 and 41. Behold, there came a man named Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue. He fell at Jesus' feet, begged him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter about 12 years of age, and she was dying. He didn't care what the rest of those religious rulers were saying. His daughter was dying, and his only hope was this guy that they didn't know what to do with by the name of Jesus. Listen, my prayer is that this Easter you will realize your only hope is this guy. Jesus. This world we live in cherishes pride and arrogance. But God is moved by 
humility, and faith. Look at verses 47 and 48. Now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling, falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her, Daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Now, a couple of things that I noticed, and I don't know if this is important or not. Okay? But this woman had an issue of bleeding for 12 years, right? And Jairus' daughter is 12 years old. Now think about this. As long as Jairus' daughter had been alive, this woman had been dealing with this medical problem of bleeding. For this broken-hearted dad of a... 12-year-old daughter, 12 years was too short a time to say goodbye to his little girl. And for this poor woman, 12 years with this medical problem was an eternity dealing with the issue. One was too short a time, one was too long a time. Both of them, 12 years. have no idea what that might mean. I just know that you might be dealing with something for 12 years and it seems like a short thing. Others may be dealing with something for 12 years and it seems like an eternity. God can touch both situations. And here's how. When you come and humble yourself before Him and have faith. I think we see something interesting. Both Jairus and and the woman with the issue of blood so hum- show humility and faith. But they also show something else. And I want you to get this. They show an incredible boldness. And I think that's important to realize. You can be bold and humble at the same time. Both of these people had a great need. Jairus needed someone to heal his daughter. The woman needed someone to heal her body. They both bow before Jesus in great humility, but they both approach Him in public with large crowds around, and they were bold enough to come clean with what they needed from Jesus. Listen, you can be humble and still bold. And they're bold enough to believe that Jesus has the answer. And that they can approach Him. Jesus is approachable. And that's what the message of the gospel is all about. And anyone can approach God. In fact, that's why when Jesus was on the cross and gave up His Spirit, we read that the veil in the temple was torn uh, between the, the veil between the inner court and the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest could go in there one time a year. You all know that story. But that veil was torn from top to bottom at that moment, signifying that God saying, now, because Jesus has paid the penalty on the cross and died for sin, now, access to me is open for everybody. And the curtain was torn. We no longer needed a priest as a go-between between man and God. We could go to God directly. That is great news today. Matthew 27 51 says, Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace in, uh, to help in time of need. 
Think about that. Humility and boldness going together. Humility and boldness going together. We can humbly, boldly approach God. We can approach Him with boldness knowing that He is the one. Listen, this is, this is why that torn veil is so important. It's God who said, come on in. God tore that veil saying, I am inviting you into my presence. What? Let that sink in for a moment. The God of heaven has invited us in. Anybody that wants to come, come on in. In fact, come unto me all you are laden and burdened and I will give you rest. The cross and the resurrection make that possible. You never have to wonder if it's okay for you to come to God. He wants you to come. He invites you to come. And He made it possible through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ. And we're here today worshiping on Easter because God did everything needed to make it possible for us to come to Him boldly, humbly, with faith. Jairus needed what only Jesus could give, healing for his little girl. The woman with a medical problem needed Jesus to give her what only he could give, a miracle healing. And they both risked everything, including the ridicule of the crowd. They boldly believed that not only Jesus had the power to heal, think about it, they believed that he would. Do you believe that he'll forgive you of all your sins? He will. He will. He'll he'll forgive you of all sins. That's much better than a physical healing, isn't it? Jesus alone can heal you of the disease of sin. And he rose from the grave to prove that he has power over it and can forgive anything. I love the story where I told the guy to take up his bed and walk and forgave him his sins. They said, who, who can forgive sins but God? And he says, which is easier for the Son of God to forgive sins or say, take up your bed and walk? Listen, he can raise him from the dead. He can heal your, your body physically if he wants. But more importantly, he can forgive you of your sins. And all you need is faith to believe and a bold humility to ask. Jesus was willing to touch the unclean world around him, and we are so grateful for that. And he is touched. Listen, Jesus touches the unclean, and we touch Jesus with our humility and faith. He touches us, and we can touch him. But we're not done there. Jesus comes. This story reminds us. The resurrection reminds us. The empty tomb reminds us. Jesus comes, but he comes to us as individuals. Verse 42, last part says, But as he went, the multitude thronged him. Then in verse 48, And he said to her, Daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. I think sometimes as we're looking at Scripture, we miss some of the little things that are there. Jesus could have just spoken the word and Jairus' daughter would have been brought back to life or healed before she died even. 
He could have done that. And others made that very clear. You don't need to come. Remember that? You don't need to come to my house. You just speak the word and it'll happen. But Jesus didn't just speak the word. In this case, he, he fought through the crowd to get to Jairus' daughter. And while he was doing that, the woman touched him. And, and think about it. Jesus could have just kept going. I, I mean, he, he could have. Others were touching him, and, and, and he was in a hurry. I mean, this girl was near death, or maybe at this point already dead, whichever. And so this, this issue with this woman could have been a quiet, private miracle that, that no one else needed to know about. By the way, I'm pretty sure that there's quiet miracles that God does that I don't know about. Amen? <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's doing things and he doesn't tell Dave Hill about it. Okay? And then not check him with me. So Jesus could have healed her and just kept going. No big deal. He's got that kind of power and he could do that. But Jesus stops everything. Think about it. He stops everything to deal with this poor, weak, scared to death woman to let her know that her faith has made her whole, that her boldness to come to him has paid off. That he can do what is impossible for men. In fact, the impossible for men is easy for God. Didn't take anything at all. In the video, the woman portraying the daughter as a grown woman said something like, Jesus got distracted, but he finally arrived. I would disagree with her. I understand what she's trying to say and why they wrote it that way. The truth is, please hear me, the truth is this woman with the issue of blood, with this bleeding problem, wasn't a distraction for Jesus. That's the good news. It wasn't a distraction. And hear me, neither are you. You're not a distraction. Jesus came for you. He died on that cross for you. He arose again for you. You're not a distraction to Him. Jesus wants to touch you. And He wants you to touch Him. He wants to heal you. And Jesus takes the time to deal with every single person personally. And He doesn't care what society thinks. When Jesus asked, who touched him? The disciples thought he was crazy. Everybody's touching you, Jesus. When he got to Jairus' house, they laughed at him. In fact, in the original language, the term there, they laughed, it meant they laughed him down. They, 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 they laughed at him, putting him down. They mocked him. You crazy carpenter? We know what dead is, and she's dead. You're out of your ever-loving mind to say she's sleeping. And they laughed at him. You know what? He didn't care. They're laughing at the one who has the power over the grave. And he didn't care. He had a mission of mercy, and he completed it. Listen. Others that you work with, maybe family members, maybe neighbors, might laugh at you if you try to come to Jesus. Listen, 
Jesus doesn't care what they're doing, what they're saying. He's got a mission to save you. And he'll deal with you personally to complete it. Do you realize that if Jesus had been following the man-made laws of his day, after the woman touched him in that crowd, he, along with everyone else that she may have had to have touched, uh, she would have had touched a lot of people, all of them would have been unclean and would have had to have gone home and gone through all of those physical and ceremonial washings before they could go on with life. If Jesus had, had, had followed man-made rules, none of this would have happened. Oh, she's unclean. Everybody that she touched would have headed home. And everybody that hadn't touched them would have made way. Get out of the way. They're unclean. 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 Get out of their way. Do you realize Jesus doesn't care what the world thinks? He'll still touch you. He'll still touch you. He's not bound by our laws. He is God Almighty. And He has never been defiled by sin or the filth around Him. And I am glad that He touches things that are unclean despite what men may say because He's still touching me. And I'll tell you, Jairus was glad too. Jesus went on and raised his daughter. While he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him, Your daughter's dead. Do not trouble the teacher. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him saying, Do not be afraid. Only believe and she will be made well. When he came into the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John, and the father and the mother of the girl. All wept and mourned for her, but he said, Do not weep. She's not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. They laughed him down, knowing that she was dead. But he put them all outside, took her by the hand, called, saying, Little girl, arise. Then her spirit returned. She arose immediately. He commanded that she be given something to eat, and her parents were astonished. But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Now, I think Jesus was letting the people around him and us know that he cares about every single person. I believe the empty tomb and the risen Savior is proof that he cares about everyone. The well-known, rich and famous people like Jairus, and the poor outcast of society like this woman who had spent everything she had and was still no better. Dirt poor people, filthy rich people, powerful important people, people that nobody else would give the time of day. And Jesus cares about every single one. Folks, that is good news for us today. That's good news for our world. Jesus cares. plan of salvation is complete. Jesus is alive. And He can give us what we couldn't afford to give ourselves, forgiveness of sin, because He paid for it. That's true healing. And He will come to you individually if you want. I know the past year has been very difficult much more difficult for some than others. 
And many in our nation have lost loved ones, lost livelihoods, lost both. And for some, life can seem very hopeless. I've got good news for you. Fear may cause you to doubt, but Jesus came to set us free from despair. And the empty tomb is proof that Jesus is the Son of God, that the plan of salvation is complete. It's more than an empty tomb. It's the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ Himself. And this woman with an issue of blood trusted Christ before the resurrection. Jairus had faith to believe the impossible before Jesus rose from the grave. They were both believers before Jesus went to the cross and arose on the first Easter morning. I can only imagine how their faith grew after the resurrection. And I can't wait to get to heaven and find out how it changed. They were, they were faithful before. They had faith before. Can you imagine after the resurrection? The question today, though, is about you. I said at the beginning, what you believe determines everything in life, death, and eternity. Will you believe? Will you believe that Jesus Christ is the risen Son of God? Will you believe that He lived a perfect life? Will you believe that He died on the cross as payment for our sins because He didn't have any of His own? Will you believe? We spent five weeks now looking at people and what it means to believe. Will you believe? And then for those of us that are already believers, this week we are going to encounter a lot of people. And it may be inconvenient to deal with them, but I remind you what Jesus did. Years ago that saying, what would Jesus do? I changed it. What did Jesus do? He took time to deal with the untouchables. For those of us that are believers, will we? Will we? Every head bowed and every eye closed, please. I believe the resurrection demands that those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ spend our lives taking time, being inconvenienced, to deal with those that are searching. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, if you've never placed your faith and trust in Him, would you believe? We've spent five weeks. We've seen eyewitnesses. We've gone all the way through the betrayal and crucifixion resurrection will you believe Heavenly Father we come before your throne and Lord I know that facts are not enough even these testimonies of eyewitnesses and our own testimonies are not enough but I pray that they've caused someone 
to stop and really honestly look at this historical fact. If Jesus is alive, and He is, if He is alive, then I've got a choice to make. And I pray that as they weigh through that, your Holy Spirit moves on their heart and they believe. It may seem impossible. I pray though that they see with you nothing is impossible to those that believe. And I pray you give them the faith that they need and Lord that they realize they can boldly, humbly come to you. You have invited them in. You have paid their penalty. You have invited them to yourself. I pray your spirit draws them and they respond in faith. We thank you that we have the hope of a risen Savior. And may every day of our life be a testimony to Easter. May when people see us, they see a living faith in a living Savior. Be glorified now in all that is done. We pray in your matchless name. Amen. We're going to stand and sing a hymn of invitation. And if God is dealing with you, would you step out very quickly? Would you believe? Honor. Far away.